But that's a different song. No, that's the same song. It's a very, very, very fine house. Two cats in the yard and it used to be hard. <laughs> that isn't it? No, but they do. Uh, there's a breakdown in the middle of our house. They go. And then it goes back. Our house. It's a very, very, very fine house. Oh, oh, that's a different song. Oh, that is a different. Okay. With two cats in the yard. Life used Life to be you hard. so that's hard. Very, that's like the plot of House of Usher. Look at that. Wow. Is it? It is kind of like that. There were two cats, or arguably the same cat. You um, told me that my cat was in an episode. That's my called cat, bait. My cat would never do anything like that. Yeah, that's bait. Oh, yeah. Come here. Run. Come here, baby. Yeah, let me see this cat. He Jeffrey said yesterday he and mom came over and he said that Ron Kurt was the most affectionate cat he'd ever met. He's hard to see. That's, he wouldn't even make eye contact with Big Moosey. And this is big, big Moosey looked a lot like that. He did look like, like this. I looked like a big Moosey. Um, That's so funny because Moosey was so stupid. Yeah, and he was he was the best. He was the best of us. He was the best um, of us. So did you uh you did finish the House of Usher? I did. And I watched, I rewatched Bo is Afraid last night, and I just finished it a couple hours ago. Okay. I have, so I'm ready. I have some thoughts. I guess I should probably introduce you, because Tony's not with us. That's That sounded grim. Tony's not here today. Well, he couldn't be talked into watching all of, I mean, you barely could be talked into watching all of the House of Usher. Tony wasn't having it. I, I think I might be in a position playing devil's advocate of kind of sticking up for it on this episode. I think we should get it. I think we should start the podcast because um, I'm going to say oh, something. It's, it's started. It started. It started. If Back you're just joining now. us, this is Erin Keaton, my sister, and her black cat, Ron Curd. You can't see, but we're both very attractive. And <laughs> not only a big Ho fan, a big black cat fan, right? Black cat fan. Yeah. Okay. Our family, uh, we're all big movie heads. I was practically raised in a video store that you and mom worked in together. That was the first thing I ever read was all the boxes and the movies. That sounds like a good story. You, you sticking by it? Yeah. You learned to read off of movie boxes? That yes. sounds okay. Okay. <laughs> all right. Yeah, I'm sticking um, to it. Is that, okay, that, and that led pretty directly to your interest in reading? Is that what you're saying? Uh, like, ironically, movies yeah. led, led you to books? We didn't have any Instead books, of vice home, versa. so that's all I had to read. I'm just kidding. Well, it usually goes in the other direction. People, a movie will lead you to the book. You're saying, or I'm sorry, a book will lead you to the movie, and you're saying the movies led you to books. That's what I'm saying. Okay. Former librarian, is that also true? No, because I, I don't have a degree in library science, so oh. I can't. I um pretended to be. You're like the Parker Posey movies, Party Girl. Yeah. Where she learns the Dewey Decimal System, sort of. Yeah, I did. I did sort of learn it. Did you guys ever have a banned books table? Um, some of my libraries did. Um, the one in the public libraries I worked at um, did have them. I also worked in academic libraries and those were really snobby. And so they didn't um, they didn't really care about the masses as much. I know. It's kind of a complaint, an ongoing complaint. The banned books table is it's just like well-respected, widely available, often taught classics like Charlotte's ah. Web and To Kill a Mockingbird and Catch-22. 
And yeah. I, I mean, I get it. They were banned in some, you know, backwoods area. But when you see the sign banned books table at the library, you think like it's going to be anarchist cookbook or right. the, the Turner Diaries or OJ's How I Did It. But like, it's never that. It's always classics that are widely available. Does that bother you? Or do you think, do you wish that they were? Because like Joy of Gay Sex used to be in the top 10. I've never seen that on one of these library banned books tables, but that makes, that would be more interesting. Like it should be a lot more daring. We used to do it at Barnes and Noble and factories and in Borders. It was banned books week. And I had the same complaint. It's like, how come we're not selling Be Your Own Undertaker? Why are we, why aren't we, where's the anarchist cookbook? And they're like, well, those are banned. (laughs) Those are illegal. Sorry. Those are against the law but I thought that was the point well it's more like it's books that were it was books that were banned from school libraries predominantly because nobody cares as much if they're just in a regular library but it tends to be school libraries and actually when I was a kid and you worked at Thackeray's so you're 13 years older than me so you would have been like in your 20s and I I'm uncomfortable with the amount of personal information you're putting on this podcast okay, you can you can believe this <laughs> um, but I went to um I went to a little Catholic school and you would get me the banned books kit from Thackeray's every year and it would always come with a printout of the list of like the top 10 but then other information about them you know just like a media kit and so I had a pin that said I read banned books and I wore it to my fifth grade class and my teacher (laughs) told me to take it off and I slammed my head on my not my head I slammed my hand on the desk and I went James and the Giant Peach is on the banned books list and she's like get out (laughs) and then they called dad and dad was like my kid can read whatever the hell she wants but it was funny that that was like the book that's one of that is I I don't know still but for a long time that was one of the most banned books and the reason given was always like not having respect for your elders (laughs) they fixed they fixed that they went back in and retooled all those books right they're no longer offensive in any way did they really yeah roll dolls estates put out nice versions what yeah the banned books table has given way to something else i saw it today there's a books you pretended to read table have you seen this one interesting no i I I understand that the libraries are in trouble so they need to do whatever they got to do but the new table seems to be books you pretended to read and it's the same shit it's handmaiden's tale 1984 the odyssey great gatsby of mice and men you know widely available that's not like the stand often taught well that's the thing does the sign mean you pretended to read it because it was assigned to you in school or does it mean that it's cool to have read 1984 in The Handmaiden's Tale. And so you pretended you read them. I don't understand. I don't understand either because those are books that people are actually forced to read. They're not books that you... That makes more sense, maybe, than the pretended to read. But they're also tiny. Greg Gatsby's a novella, isn't it? It's not even a novel. Oh, that's that's what I was saying. It's not like reading The Stand or like Anna Karenina and being like, oh, yeah, I read Anna Karenina because it's a thousand pages. Like, that's something you pretend to read. You don't pretend to read a book that's a novella, The Great Gatsby. Yeah. Well, speaking of Stephen King, I don't know if you listened to the last episode, but we were talking... um, it was a kind of a Stephen King extravaganza because, oh. because of Christine. And we were talking about how he used to review music and pop culture in Entertainment Weekly. Mm-hmm. And Buck Cherry was his obsession. And he loved Buck <laughs> Cherry. That. Yeah. 
So and nobody else liked nobody even at the time liked Buck Cherry. So I since since that episode, I went and found Buck Cherry Butterfly, the one that he claimed was the best album of that year, 2002 or whatever. And I listened to it and it's not great. It's uh, it's not great. It's um, it's got a song based on speaking of banned books, a child called it. You remember that piece of shit? Yeah, uh, mom had that book, and I, I still have a copy of it. See, I knew I saw it in somebody's house. I I remember yeah. at, at Thackeray's it was it was huge. Everybody wanted it at Thackeray's. Oh, yeah. It was considered this, you know, this forbidden tome. It was some abused kid telling it like it is, but they debunked everything in it, right? They proved that that was just some bullshitter. Yeah. God, I loved books like that. There was a companion. I think I still have those two called God Isn't Done With Me Yet. So when you say you like books like that, you mean like The Bell Jar or or no, something like about Go Ask Alice. Go Ask Alice, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think it's a it's a whole thing. Child Called It, Buck Cherry Song. You know what it's called? What? It's called A Child Called It. <laughs> and it's, it's, it actually starts off kind of sweet. It's like, mother, I hate the way you treat me like no other. <laughs> it's, oh, no. Like it's it's deadly serious. And then the album goes into the song like Too Drunk to Fuck. So it's oh. it's a weirdly serious moment in uh, Stephen King's favorite, favorite album in 2002 or whenever. But, but yeah, yeah, it's like, and it's also Child Called It. The song is kind of like surf rock, which seems inappropriate for the source material. I don't know if people imagined kind of a lit sound. It sounds like lit. Oh, weird. But I I actually like Buck Cherry's other albums. I like the album Time Bomb has some very threatening choruses. This one is just, I don't know. Even if you were were Stephen King and you loved Buck Cherry, you'd probably have to acknowledge that it was a step down for them. But he he was going to the mattresses over that one. He said it is the best album that year. Um, That's wild. Speaking of banned books, now Poe was also on the band book table, but I don't remember. I mean, they, they were kind of gruesome, but I don't remember them being anything that you would pull because of because it was too gross. They're not. I mean, the people who are asking for books to be banned, they're not necessarily asking for them to be banned because like they're not they're not really reading these books. And it's like witchcraft. They're not obeying their elders, like setting a bad example, talking about, I don't know, like all of the reasons are like if they actually read books, books there would be so many more banned books right like the anarchist cookbook but they're like i don't know that exists that's not even on my radar well i started to wonder while watching house of usher which we might as well jump into i do it. Um, it seemed to me that it was a very horny show, and I don't remember Poe being like he was sort of this goth incel type, wasn't he? Wasn't he like yeah. famously pining for Lenore, not just lost loves, but like missed opportunities? Am I, am I remembering him wrong? He was pining, if I remember correctly. Um, Lenore is like a fill in for his cousin who he was in love with, who was like 13 or 14, right? So, yeah, so the that's why the show's angry on it well, and then there's his granddaughter in the i don't know well not just a granddaughter but an ai that starts texting at the end oh my god that becomes sentient but yeah. yeah the uh it felt like they were trying to do like an hbo prestige show with with like a lot of sex or at least a lot of sex talk well here's the and... thing okay go ahead no go ahead which what's the thing well here's the thing what's this mike mike flanagan yes may i speak frankly <laughs> Are you talking directly to him? <laughs> uh, no, I'm talking to you. It's your podcast. Oh, okay. May I may I drag him to hell? <laughs> sure. 
I mean, it's out there for the world to see, so it's it's fair game. What do you got to say about this? Is a this is about all of his his oeuvre? Or, I mean, or... yeah, it is about his oeuvre. He makes. I mean, I watched one episode. I'll go back to House of Usher momentarily. This will be a short rant about this, but I watched one episode of The Midnight Club. If maybe a me- an episode of it, if you can call it The Midnight Club. That was one of my favorite books when I was a preteen. I still read it kind of regularly. It's like one of those books that resets my brain when um, I haven't read anything for too long. It like gets me back into the groove and I always have a copy of it around. It's a beautiful book. There are no jump scares in that book. There are no ghosts. There are no monsters. Just over and over, this fucking guy is, he's like, I have a, I have a concept and that's all he has is a concept like House of Usher. I started watching it and I was like, I'm so mad that Dave's making me watch something by this guy again, because I feel like I'm going to be injured by it. And then um, I was wait, I I knew you didn't weren't enjoying it, but I didn't realize it was because it was so spooky and effective. It sounds like no, it did it's not. No, it's not spooky and effective. Well, when you say like, injured, you mean like you don't like things going boo? No, I'm like, you know, I do. It's like my sensibilities. I took notes. Episode two. Okay, wait, 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 wait. wait. <laughs> before, before we get to your 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 litany of crimes here, <laughs> back up to the, like, as far as ripping on all of, I think Flanagan's got too much stuff to, like, there's definitely a, there's definitely a Netflix Flanagan. Um, which is probably tough to disconnect from because that seems to be his main venue. Like he does the, what is it? The Bly Manor, Haunted, Haunted Hill House, House, uh, Midnight Mass, and this all kind of have have a same, he's got a troupe. He's got an acting troupe he sticks with. They've all got a look. But if you look at like, but you also don't like his movies like Dr. Sleep and Oculus and all that stuff. I like some, I I watched, we'll talk about Bo is Afraid eventually, but I was like, this show is eight hours long. Bo is Afraid is three hours long. People are going to bitch about Bo is Afraid. Like, oh, jump the chart. What is all this? It's so weird. And they're going to give grandpa saying, I'm going to go whip up some pizzas, a pass. And this eight hour, this eight hour slog of dialogue where like you really only need the first 15 minutes. And the yeah, but, I mean, it's like a chapter, just like in a book. But- You'll go, you'll read a huge book if it has tiny chapters. I and- will, but man, the way people talk and that is my that is if I had to like pick what really I mean, there's a lot of stuff that chips my ass about these shows, like the head tilting, the monsters look stupid. Why are there monsters in the first place? Like baff just baffling decisions, but the way people talk, like whip up some pizzas like it was like grandpa was saying i'm gonna go whip up some pizzas for himself and two other people how many pizzas you're gonna go whip them up you're gonna go make pizza from scratch everything i don't remember the pizza <laughs> speech but i i everything would... people saying it i'm just like nobody's ever said that before but here's the thing okay. i think that with flanagan when he does it good that's it's it's a feature not a bug like his speeches are that I think those were a lot of people didn't like those in Midnight Mass, but I think that's his best. Did you watch Midnight Mass? I watched part of it. That's the it's the Stephen Kingiest thing to ever been Stephen Kinged, and he, from what I hear, he fussed over it for a long time and to get it made, and it's the only one that's not, I think, not an adaptation. I think Oculus is original, but 
in the Ouija sequel is an original, but you know, like the rest of them were adaptations and midnight mass was his own, like, here's a community and he can, you know, he introduced a, a big play like cast and, and they all gave big stage like speeches. And I think that when people got so upset with that, when I thought that's what it, they isolated these people on this Island to just kind of indulge in that. So when he, when they started giving speeches in house of usher, I didn't really notice him until he did the big lemon speech, but I'm, I'm here to defend the lemon speech. I thought that was pretty funny. Like I knew exactly that it was going to end with some talk of lemonade and yeah, actually announced it to the room, which was when, when is he going to say it? Some, when does the zinger about lemonade happen? But that's the kind of stuff that I kind of enjoy because it's, it's just a, you know, it's a literary flex. It's like type, type, type. <laughs> Look at what I'm typing. And I don't mind that. Um, <laughs> that the fact sense. that when people just keep talking uh, and you want to yell, shut up at the screen. I mean, that's a different story. And it sounds like you wanted to yell, shut up at the screen. Yeah. Cause there's, because it's nothing that moves anything forward. And there are just so many, I mean, Dave, I wrote like, I wrote cruel things about this guy where I felt bad afterwards but I think that he's never that he doesn't know how to carry a conversation so he always has like a huge cast of people giving speeches because he doesn't know how to make them talk to each other yeah but I mean you could say that about any playwright turned filmmaker like Mammoth's the way his characters talk you know people hate that but like I I think he kind of has his own I think he's almost the fact that he's recognizable at what he's doing, I think is an accomplishment. I yeah. didn't, I, I was very frustrated with Haunting of Hill House. That one felt like a slog. Yeah. Uh, this Midnight was- Mask, I, I liked, although Amy keeps telling me I didn't really like it, but I, I think I did. I, I remember wanting to watch it a lot. And this one was somewhere in the middle where I was cutting it a lot of slack, but we were having a lot of fun yelling at TV. We, we had a very active viewing experience, and I think it was might be similar to yours, where there was it was just kind of eye rolling. But here's this goofy thing for Halloween, you know, enjoy. Sure. I don't know. But that makes sense to me. What was I going to say? Well, you were going to talk about you. You wanted to jump to episode two. Now, is that the Mask of the Red Death? The only reason I wanted to talk about episode two is because I got so hung up on whip us up some pizzas. <laughs> But he also, what I was going to say is there were parts where I could, I could tell he was referencing other uh, shows or movies and it, it felt, it didn't feel heavy handed so much as it felt like stealing. Like, I don't know what to put, what to put in here. So I'm going to put in that scene from Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, where the guy's talking about his, where Alec Baldwin's talking about his car. Yeah, I remember Um, the car thing did stick out. Yeah. The car thing stuck out. Um, True Detective season three, where like they're just guys talking, reminiscing about the past. The like, it just, I kept seeing other shows where I was like, I can't, you know, people are influenced by stuff. And that just, you know. Yeah, kind of- that's what we, when it, when it first started and there was some Trump zingers, Amy and I were kind of like, uh, because it just, it, it dates it almost immediately. And it feels yeah. like, like I was saying to somebody else, it feels like this embarrassingly on the nose Facebook post or succession. It's very much. I wrote that. I Yeah. That's very it's, much succession. But it, becomes, it eventually becomes its own thing. It's like a Poe version yeah. of succession. But I don't know. It reminds me of the movie Weeds. Have you ever seen the Nick Nolte movie Weeds? I have not. Weeds is, 
it's probably in my top 10 of all time, but for some oh. reason it's not, um, it's overshadowed by the fact that there was, you know, a series called weeds that was hugely popular. And for yeah. some reason it never came out on anything but VHS. So you can't even get it, but it's the plot is Nick Nolte is a prisoner who's doing life without the possibility of parole. And they keep saying he's doing life without possibility. Get it. <laughs> so he uh to bot first he tries to kill himself a couple times and fails and then he's kind of settles in and starts reading a bunch of big books and then he decides that he's going to make a play in prison and perform it and that'll be his calling and uh he eventually a spoiler he gets out of jail because the play does so well that people petition for him to get out of jail and then he takes his his troop of former prisoners on tour with him to do like off-broadway versions of this play oh. and people almost immediately recognize that it's plagiarized but they kind of cut him some slack, not just because he's a former prisoner, but they say it's redundant of obviously he stole it from um, this other play called Death Watch. He, he did it pretty much the same thing, but he he jazzed it up. He says, why don't we just take out that whole section that's plagiarized and instead <laughs> we'll take these rubber clubs and we'll run out in the audience and like pretend to beat the shit out of the audience. And everybody's <laughs> like, yeah, that's it. So by the time he replaces enough of the stuff he stole with his kind of harebrained ideas, it becomes his own thing. And then they finally make it to Broadway or off Broadway. And the reviewers are like, eh, it's not as good as when it was stealing shit, which is kind of a, the, I guess the lesson is his, ori his originality isn't, wasn't good enough to impress somebody who mm -hmm. kind of wanted that. I don't actually, I don't know what, if there's a lesson in there at all, but this reminds me a lot of that because it, it seems like there is an attempt to map onto it a lot of current events and a lot of other things like Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, and a lot of these big moments and obviously Poe. But at some point, he crams in so many of his whip ups and pizzas that it be it eventually becomes this Flanagan thing. And I, I think that there should be at least some, it's unique in that sense that somebody's even bothering to do that because it's nothing but plagiarists out there. It's nothing but rehashes and um, the fact that there's a glimmer of an authorial stamp in this net glossy Netflix production oh. is, I don't know. Um, I think that's what I was trying to say. That's but a really, that's a really good point. Actually, it doesn't well, make me enjoy it, <laughs> but like, it's not, it's not for me, but that's a really good point. And I wonder if he even got to do what, I think that this one feels like it's lacking compared to the other one, but I guess the, uh, the elephantitis in the room is that they it had a troubled production. They fired the they oh, fired really? the original grandpa. Um, oh, I thought the grandpa actually. I thought the grandpa Mary McDonald and oh yeah, he was great. Uh, what the fuck is his name? I know his name. he was in uh, uh, John from Cincinnati. Mm, he's one of, he's one of Flanagan's guys. I'd know the name if I heard. Okay. I think everybody would know the name if they heard. It. I want to say Ironside Greenwood. Close. That was close. <laughs> Ironside. Iron turns yeah. green. So yeah, he was great. But if you if you read about it, they Frank Langella was supposed to be him. Oh wow. Who's much older. So there that explains why Ironside is the same age as his kids a lot of the time. <laughs> <laughs> but if I don't know if you remember Frank Langella, he was uh Dracula was his big one, but recently he was in Trial of Chicago Seven. He was the judge. No. He was probably, he was probably the best part. He was the judge who was just annoyed with everybody the whole time. Did you see the box, the uh, Donnie Darko follow-up, the box? Uh, oh, I know Frank Langella. Okay, you know what I'm talking about. He yeah. did a lot of stately imposing figures, like he played Nixon and Frost Nixon, and he was in yeah. Good Night and Good Luck. He was Skeletor in the He-Man movie. Oh, that's fun. So the kids remember his voice from that, but um, <laughs> he did a version of 
Claire Quilty in the shinier version of Lolita. Yeah. Adrian version. So oh, he plays I, it, he plays it very scary. You, you saw that one? Yeah, with um Dominique. Yes. Yeah. So and he's the Jeremy Irons. Yeah. So he's he doesn't, you know, Peter sellers it up. He doesn't go nuts, but he makes <laughs> it kind of, he makes it kind of spooky. Like he makes it disturbing. As yeah, his, I remember he's oily. He's oily. I watched that before I saw the original Lolita because it was on a channel that we got all the time. And so I watched it a couple of times and I thought he was really creepy. And then when I saw Peter Sellers, I was like, excuse me, this pedophile is <laughs> funny. Right. He what comes out like. Yeah, that was that was a bit much. His scariest role. If you ever see Dave where Kevin Klein. Yeah, a long time ago. Yeah, where he's the he looks just like the president. And the president goes into a coma. Yeah. So they bring in the goofball. He uh, Frank Langella plays the really scary White House chief of staff. Oh, and he gets to really chew up the scenery in that one. That's probably his best one. But but anyway, long story short, he um, he got fired for inappropriately touching one of the actresses and oh, telling telling. Uh, yeah, did you notice that I had you like say all the things you liked about him, and then I hit you with that. Yeah, thanks a lot. <laughs> he also told a bunch of inappropriate jokes, apparently, and um, I guess he was just being an old man bore, right? He weirdly enough came out with a big. Like he tried to get ahead of it. He put out this Vanity Fair article about why he was unfairly fired. Whoa. And so I guess if anything, you could say he believes he's innocent. That seems clear. He nobody sinks their the twilight of their career with a big, you know, cringy post like that unless you think that you did nothing wrong. So I guess that's compared to Weinstein, that's a difference. But I'm sure at 85 years old and <laughs> no. I don't know how often he's around youngsters, but I'm sure at 85 years old, um, he thinks that he did nothing wrong. Isn't this what I was allowed to do for the last? <laughs> right. I guess they were going to, they had to go back and refilm it because if you know that you can tell things are happening where Greenwood is in scenes, he's just by himself and, or he's just having a one-on-one -on -one with somebody. Yeah. So if he's in a big room with everybody, it's probably he's not really in that room. That's um, interesting. But they didn't. I don't know if you saw Army of the Dead, where they brought in Tignataro to replace an entire actor. No, I didn't. So they'll have something going on, and then they'll just cut to her, like behind a fence, making some wisecrack. It's really, <laughs> really awkward. I don't remember what movie it was that you told me this, but when I was younger, you once told me that if there's a voiceover at the end of a movie, it means they screwed something up or they didn't know how to wrap up the movie or there's just something dumb happening. And I thought of that at the end of House of Usher because <laughs> there's no, I don't think there's a voiceover. There are voiceovers, but not in that way until the end of the show. Well, and then it's like, here's what happened to everybody. One thing that's, about this that is both both i guess good and bad or bad and good is that it it has a formula right out of right out of the gate and it just doesn't deviate so the whole time it's just True. here's a it's, it reminded me of six feet under here's a character and they're gonna they're gonna die by the end of the episode you know exactly who it's gonna be yeah. because they, they show you the their corpse at the beginning of the episode and then the whole thing is just a lead up to them getting some sort of comeuppance based on their bad qualities that happened like eight times I was like, so that, are they ever going to break the formula? Is it just going to be every episode somebody dies in a 
Edgar Allan Poe way, but their, you know, their life was already patterned after Poe in a, you know, symbolic way. So it's like with the, with the monkey thing, it's like, you know, somebody's gonna get killed by a monkey. So I guess the switch there was that it wasn't the person who was operating on him. It was the one who hated her or something. That was kind of weird, but. Oh, well, the interpretations of Poe were, were really strange sometimes where like the, every episode is based on a Poe story but then like the overarching show is based he was plugging a lot of already existing material into this new plot where you're ex- you have these expectations like what you said it's there's a real formula but then it's a little confusing as you're going through because you're sort of like isn't it gonna have like if you're familiar with the story which I wasn't familiar with every Poe story that they did an episode on But the ones that I was familiar with, I was like, huh, how does that like the telltale heart one? I kind of. Yeah, they that one is it's funny because like with the monkey one, the murders in the Rue morgue. uh, And I actually went back and reread this story. I had I'd forgotten about it. But the whole gimmick of that short story is just somebody has a pet orangutan. Yeah, it sees it sees them shaving one day. Did you read this one recently? I read it. I read it years ago, but it came back while I was watching the episode. Yeah. So he's, the guy's got a pet orangutan. It sees him shaving. So it decides it's going to try to shave. So it's running around with a straight razor. It accidentally kills a couple people by trying to be like a person. Yeah. And, and so everybody c- keeps finding these crime scenes that are very confusing. <laughs> They're like, so I don't understand what's happening here. We've got this weird hair. Her, She seems like somebody tried to cut off her head, but there's, it's a locked room. And uh, so basically it's just like a, it's like a forensic files episode. And there's like a poor man, Sherlock Holmes kind of telling the story like, oh, it's a monkey. And that's why it was so confusing. And that's it. That's the whole point of those sto- the story is, wouldn't it be crazy if a monkey killed someone? No one would be able to tell. Or you would admit you would misinterpret it in an entirely different way. So the fact that that telltale heart and that were combined, like the monkeys in the labs have artificial hearts, you're waiting for that. But then it turns out it's not doesn't really matter because all they're doing is all pose or half of his stories are just something is weird in the wall. Something is there's is it a rat in the wall? Is it a cat in the wall? Is it a a heart in the floor? Is it something is making a funny noise and it's driving me crazy? And I think the House of Usher story is that's just one of those premature burial stories, wasn't it? Where there's thumping, there's thumping because she got buried too soon. So again, just how many times can he have somebody, something pounding in the walls and freaking people out? So that's, so it was a formula on top of a formula. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, that that stuff got a little redundant, but the monkey scene I thought was legitimately scary. I I think the way it was moving. Yeah. The fact that she was, I guess, that chimp the whole time kind of talking to her about what they were doing to it. Like that stuff was kind of freaky. I think that was the high point, in my opinion. Yeah, that was good. I was um I was bummed that they killed the twink, like in the like he was one of the first to go. The dead-eyed zoomer. <laughs> yeah, because I thought he was pretty funny. Like I liked well, I liked what he was doing. I liked that he just had a bunch of like hedonistic dumb ideas and was screwing around with everybody all the time. Yeah, I just didn't buy it for a minute. He just reminds me of all it's like what we were the one who said to watch Euphoria or somebody else said that Oh, I haven't watched it yet. I was complaining about the the bizarre like celibate newcomers to movies who are 
they're just kind of these weird little zoomers and they seem very chaste in a, in a weird way. But I don't know, it's, especially in the horror genre, people are like, well, you should watch Euphoria. And I couldn't get through five seconds of that because it's just a bunch of, of this guy. It's a bunch of these blank, these uninteresting bland young people pretending like they're you know off the hook i don't know it just it just doesn't it just rings false and like this kid looked like he was gonna puke every time he had to say something gross he has to go and proposition his sister-in-law that whole just insufferable scene at the door he looked like he wanted to to throw up yeah (laughs) what I just didn't buy it. Uh, but I did when that whole rain of acid, like the whole yeah. blade, the whole blade rave happens. <laughs> that shit was uh, that was genuinely shocking because I didn't know what kind of show we were, it was going to be. Yeah. So I was like, oh, shit. OK, we're doing that. All right. Yeah, that's pretty gnarly. I actually had to look away during that scene because it was it got so nasty. Yeah. With the most ineffective, most ineffective masked eyes wide shut orgy where everyone knew who everyone was. I was like, how when he walked in there and his or like his girlfriend or person came up to him and he's looking around for a sister-in-law. I was like, he's gonna find her right away. But that makes no sense because there's two thousand people. That's why in Eyes Wide Shut, they had, you have to have a head to toe robe. Yeah, exactly. And you just sort of float, you just float around like those nuns and death becomes her. You don't really, you can't (laughs) really show your body language. Yeah. Um, Um, Dave, what's a zoomer? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) The enemy? I don't know. (laughs) You're going to tell me, you're going to, can you translate the, these these zoomers for me? What are they? No, I don't know what that means. I don't don't, It's a Z, it's a Z-lennial. A zillennial. It's a zillennial. <laughs> what year it's the, is that? It's the young, whatever's younger than you. You were bad enough, and now there's there's people younger than you? <laughs> there are people young, if you can believe it. You should ask your students what they call themselves. They're Gen Z. They're Zoomers. I think, I don't know. I think my idea of a Zoomer is there's kind of a weird throwback. They're very, um, I don't know. I, I think that there's a danger in me stereotyping an entire generation but um let's do it uh, <laughs> so the, they they seem kind of i don't know they're kind of humorless and sexless i don't at least this kid was prospero prospero yeah they're kind of like shouldn't he have been chewing the scenery like don't you want james spader 1980s james spader being that character that's when you roll out that's when you roll out the gross inappropriate actor you put them in that role. Yeah. That's what those, that's what those roles are made for. But we're, you know, we're, past, we're past that. I don't want to do this to a whole generation either. But you're well, not. Who, who would? I mean, really, who would? We don't want to, but we have to. I. It's You're not wrong. But I wonder if it's that thing, like, when you're in high school, like, every year, you look back at, you're, like, in your junior year, and the freshmen come in, and you're like, God, they look like babies. Yeah. It's that's another thing. That we're older and we're like what are they i guess that's another reason it's i'm kind of thankful they're they have like a real incel celibate energy is because that they're they're they do look like teeny tiny babies like prospero looked like a tiny baby i didn't want i'm I'm glad it didn't really work yeah as far as what he was supposed to represent because it was i don't know it was uh it might be just a that's what happens when you get older (laughs) <laughs> you don't want to see but I, I mean that's the i think that's the moral of the story is just can you be older can these people just be, be older please well i think james spader when he was playing a teenager was like 35 that's the key see you just actually you just solved it, it the is. problem is in the 80s and 90s and two early 2000s 
was teenagers were played by somebody between 30 and 45 years old. And yeah. that that has been, you know, inceptioned as the way people behave. So when they're bringing in actual young people, I don't want to see that shit. No, I remember when I went to high school, I was kind of labeled. I wasn't kind of, I was labeled as a prude, but I had a very share from clueless view of people my age. I was like, none of you are appealing to me. Like, I don't really want to go on dates with anybody. You all look like you're 11. Because you see people in movies that are playing high schoolers and you're like, wow, you're actual adult human beings. And then you see actual high schoolers and you're like, you're, you're children. You should yeah. not be out late. Right. That's why the their party, I don't know. I was kind of confused by some of that with where the party was taking place and who and what he was trying to do. I think I missed some stuff at the beginning where he gives everybody a big, there's like a, it's like a ritual where the grandpa gives everybody a big payout to corrupt them like purposefully oh he gave the his bio his biological kids big payout right but then they were talking about how the rest of them that they get kind of roped in too but i don't know i didn't i got my impression was the first wife that he had the two biological kids with when they split up she got the kids and then he gave them money to go with him but he had all the other kids with different people with different and so I, I guess they, on his bill. So did they skip a scene where she apparently killed herself because you see a hole in the back of her ghost head? But yeah, I guess they maybe they ran out of time. I that seemed I, important. Yeah, I didn't see anything anything about that either. What did you think of the fixer? I liked him. The uh, Pim, Mark Hamill. Yeah, he. I thought he did a good job. He was my favorite part. Yeah, he was a good. I guess. Uh, see, I didn't really know about Edgar Allan Poe's only novel, where I guess is called the narrative of Arthur Gordon Pym. Oh. And it's about some young dude goes on adventures and kills a bunch of quote natives. It's I guess it's prep. You know, it's like a adventure oh. novel. So the his backstory was that, but it you know you just have to know it. They talk about it briefly, but I was confused because uh, Greenwood talks about it. And I thought he was talking about his own adventures. Like it was to explain why he has all these children, all these like multiracial children that he went on all this worldwide tour to sort of try to, in my mind, when they first talked about it, I thought that was his way of trying to avoid this curse was if I have enough kids, then I don't know, maybe I can somehow defeat it if there's like, you can't get the whole bloodline, but then it just seemed arbitrary that he had all those kids. And it turned out that the backstory was just talking about him based on this, Right. novel Poe wrote. So that's an example where shoehorning in that brief story about Pym's adventures seem pointless. Like, I think that him as the creepy fixer, keep it mysterious. Like the fact that you didn't know anything about that guy, that he could very efficiently kill and roll somebody up in a, in a bag that fast. Like that was, that made him much more intimidating than hearing that he traveled the globe and did all this swashbuckling weird shit. Oh, sure. Yeah, that makes So, I don't know. He was probably the best part, but also it seemed like they didn't have the confidence to just let him kind of do that version of the role. And, like, you don't need to cram a bunch of Poe around that. Just let that be. Yeah, it's wild. He's, like, the most... It's like, one of the best actors on the show and can really hold his own. And, you know, he had a... He had great choices and voices. <laughs> he was... Real quick, speaking of choices and voices, what do you think of the the heart doctor she was making some 
some capital A acting choices when, oh, yeah. her, when it was her big episode. She was doing the like angle your head in. To, oh yeah. To do, and like I'm going crazy. <laughs> that, was, that was some rough road. I don't know. It wasn't. I can't say it was like my favorite part, but it was a it was a scene that I was very engaged with towards the end. Tamerlane, the one that did oh, yeah. the, her dialogue got, you know, it was supposed to be weird where she was just getting scrambled, which the actress did a really good job of. Um, I don't know. It was kind of like when you're talking in your sleep and you sound like a Furby, but you're still. Oh, yeah. 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 It kind of had the the Rosemary's Baby dream vibe. Cameron was great. And Mary, was, uh, I think you should watch Midnight Mass because she's the best. She's like the MVP in Midnight Mass. If you liked her in this. I got bigger fish to fry. <laughs> well, I was confused about speaking of their kind of the way they all die or the way they all get to go crazy. It's just um, a pattern emerges pretty quickly, right? The fact that you're going to something, every one of these people have a moment where they seem to be hallucinating and it tricks them into dying. So if that's the case, can somebody just tell them, don't believe what you're seeing? Like they all fall for it. Oh, I think I lost you here. Uh, no, I raised my hand. Oh, okay. Just say So, oh, you raised your hand for real. <laughs> I just blanked because that was funny. Raising yeah, my so, You know what I mean? Like if, if everyone is being tricked by a hallucination oh, yeah. to themselves, then then can you just like before it happens eight times, maybe mention, hey, don't trust if you see anything weird, don't don't trust it and don't go jumping over the off the ledge with your Thor hammer because you might be hallucinating. Also, what's up with grandpa and his sister? both being both knowing full like from the get they're like okay. yeah they tried to they tried to patch over that whole i was complaining about that the whole time like they know they know but they don't know so they had lines in there about i forgot it all i forgot everything that i said that night no you didn't like they they clearly didn't forget but, well he was a, he denied it every, every episode was the same formula somebody dies in an obvious edgar Allan poe fashion he says or pretends that he doesn't understand what's happening and she's like you do know what's happening we sold our soul or whatever back in that bar um but but they also kind of didn't like this was the worst devil ever not only did she she can't she doesn't she doesn't really give them anything to buy. She just blackmails them. Like, that seems like cheating. She says, I'll keep, you've done a sin. I'll keep you out of trouble, but I'll keep you out of trouble in an awesome way. She does that two or three times. She tries to do it to Pim at the end, but he doesn't bite. But that's her, that's her shtick is not just, would you want to be rich and famous? She says, you're going to be rich and famous anyway, but I'll make sure that you don't go to jail. It's just bizarre. Really bizarre. She's supposed to be the Raven. What is the tie-in? I should have looked this up, but do you remember the Raven? Like, is there, I mean, it's, it's just is a, there any correlation to the story? Just is, that they say it's a demon, that the Raven is actually a demon. So I guess. And isn't, that's he, the, isn't Grandpa reciting the poem the whole time? Well, like that's the, the other question. That's the other question. That's the, the big question is, there's a couple possibilities there. He's reciting poems that don't exist. Because in a this is a world where this family is named Usher, but <laughs> the Justice Department is they're obsessed with this family named Usher, but they do not recognize, you know, the series of very carefully arranged Edgar Allan Poe inspired murders. So if that means that Poe doesn't exist in that world, what is he reciting? And the only answer can be that Greenwood is kind of he's Poe because she says to him at one point or she says to oh, his sister. Yeah. You were going to be a, you would have been a poet if you weren't a drug czar. <laughs> so I guess he's supposed to be Poe. That's such a weird, yeah, I remember that part. And I remember thinking, 
what a weird thing because he doesn't recite poetry except for in this scene talking to the guy from the justice but see is that the case though like when would he have when does would he have been a poet and i guess he is a poet he's he's edgar Allan poe he's at he's literally edgar Allan poet but what is the the thing with the 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 world doesn't recognize if the world doesn't know that there's a poe that these stories don't exist that we're just living in universe then why isn't there a, a line in there where tamerlane says or, or uh no uh the other sister says, isn't it funny that it was called the Rue Morgue because it's like an acronym? So she knows that Rue Morgue is a funny sounding place that she because of the post. So to her, Poe exists, unless I'm remembering that wrong. I thought that she made a joke about the fact that the labs were called Rue Morgue or something. Um, This is the kind of this is whip up some pizzas. This is the kind of stuff where I'm into it. And then there's something like this. I'm like, I just spent 20 minutes trying to figure out what his because well, if, if that's the case, you know what I mean? Like, if that's the case, then oh. if somebody has a very complicated crime scene where part of the house organized itself into a pendulum to cut a guy's stomach. You'd be like, that really reminds me of something. I can't quite put my finger on it. That sounds really familiar. Maybe we could look into that. But then if that he's literally Poe and we're just living in his world, then why would she say that about Rue Morgue? Because I think the joke there is, wasn't the stories, the murders in the Rue Morgue, like it's not really a morgue. That's just the name. Rue means street. So it's just Morgue Street. Oh, yeah, you're right. I think she was acknowledging that that was fun. I don't, I don't fucking know. Um, it's kind of like maybe they're all like, well, maybe most of them are like Brad Pitt and Seven, where if Morgan Freeman wasn't his partner, he never would have connected all the murders to Dante's inferred to the seven deadly sins. And and the doctor is like Brad Pitt and 12 monkeys, where she's going, <laughs> she's going nuts. Yeah. She went crazy. She went crazy like five seconds after that smoke alarm made a little beep. Yeah. Like she didn't, they they had a lot of crazy acting to cram into those last few moments and it just didn't, uh, it just wasn't working. No, but it was because you really liked it. Well, I didn't, I, I liked all the other stuff in that lab, but I, I guess we did like it because we were laughing. When it yeah. Was but then he comes back from that where he sees somebody hallucinating and freak out and kill themselves. And the sister's like, you do understand what's happening. He's like, Nope, circle the wagon. Someone's out to get us. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. No. Did you notice that they seem to be being killed off according to their level of acting ability? Like Prospero, Stop. the zoomer goes first. <laughs> your your zoomer went down hard, and then but they save like the they save the the thespians for the end. <laughs> Is that true? I, mean, I thought I guess, it was the biological children at that. Well, that would track because they're going to be on the show. Yeah. The oldest ones will be on the show the longest. So they'll get the- I think Henry Thomas did. We were complaining about him at first, the kid from E.T. He was because he was doing a very Roman from a succession act. Yeah. But he kind of he, but he started to grow on us, like especially when he made. Some, I don't remember what he said, but he was talking to someone. He just made some offhand comment like, well, my wife, she melted. So and we just started. we did like a spit take. <laughs> But I was confused about the um, the other brother. Like, what was he an actor? Why did he have Thor's hammer prop? Like, why why did that hammer seem to actually have powers? Why was it knocking through walls so easily? Was that and if Thor and the Mar and if Marvel exists in this universe? Oh God, what are the possibilities? I bet that somebody in a Marvel movie has talked about Edgar Allan Poe. They must absolutely. That's well. Wait, let's solve this. I'm going to put it in. Okay. I'm going to put it into this this big machine. MCU, MCU Edgar Allan Poe. 
if anybody even says the name, then they're fucked because right. um, wait, Edgar Allan Poe is apparently a character in the Marvel universe. He lives on Earth 616. <laughs> so yeah, that's uh yeah, the jig is up. The jig is up for sh- yeah, wow. He is a char- he is a character in the Marvel universe, so there's no denying. So Thor is a character in the Poe universe. And vice versa. And vice versa. But I think the uh, killing off according to your acting ability, technically, I guess it's the exception that proves the rule because Frank Langella, technically the first to go, mm-hmm. killed killed off screen. Did he, win, did he win an Oscar? Or am I just thinking for like Frost Nixon or something? Oh, I don't know. Well, I still have his. Oh, he might have. Anyway, he, he went first. Did you see, this was something I was going to ask. Did you notice the Netflix menu in the middle of the movie that has another Flanagan movie on it? No. They're clicking around and Gerald's game comes up. That's a Mike Flanagan. Is it really? Yeah, that's a bold move, you know. What a weird man. Did you ever see Chappie? No. And it, star, it stars the band D'Antward. They, they play sort of themselves and they're wearing t-shirts of their own band and they're listening to their own music and they have posters of the band in the movie that's kind of like putting gerald's game netflix menu in your netflix show although that's netflix loves that they did that with black mirror like there's a whole episode of black mirror where the character keeps clicking on black mirror on netflix it's insufferable oh my god did you ever see pcu i did it's got like my favorite that's Ari from uh, Entourage. He's like, go to go to sleep, go to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> that movie was on Comedy Central all the time. It's so good. Somebody remember George Clinton? They get George Clinton to come play their campus, and somebody's wearing. Isn't somebody wearing a George Clinton shirt to the show? Yeah, he says, "Don't be that guy." That became a huge meme. That's a that's a meme before memes. It truly is. Yeah, yeah that was the original. Mike Flanagan, Gerald's game. Well, what's do you have a, a last word on Usher? Because we got to talk about Bo before we wrap it up here. Um, Thank you for asking. Um, okay, I'm gonna go through my notes really quick. It, it's funny that you said it's like Succession because my first notes were it's giving Succession, it's giving True Detective season three, it's giving Stephen King, but but only because no one talks like this in real life. Before we get to Bo, Bo and his mom, this is actually be a good segue. Do you, what is the, all the mummy? stuff in usher there must be a poe story about mummies yeah i i uh i was missing that reference completely i know that the fall of the house of usher is a premature burial thing where he goes to bury his sister but she's still alive i don't know if he tries to mummify her though i think that's another poe story about some sort of egyptian shit yeah it's really confusing that but that's not his mother my question is that's not his mother on the phone right at the end of uh when he, he's getting those nevermore texts because they've made an AI, is the AI his his mother or his, I don't know what that was, where he's getting those nevermore texts from some sort of singularity? Well, wouldn't it be from the Raven person? No, they he's right before he says it, he says, yeah, we've been, uh, we were working on some uh, new AI technology at the office and it's been texting me all night. But it seemed to hint that it had become self-aware. So yet, may, I guess the Raven's the one who says nevermore. I don't know. Maybe I was thinking of the, the police song, Mother. You remember that song? The telephone is ringing. Is that my mother on the phone? You don't remember that one? No. It actually has a creepy Egyptian sort of calliope music. You don't You don't remember this? It's like the worst song on synchronicity. The telephone is ringing. You don't know the song? No, I don't. It's basically the story of Psycho. Like, I always become my mother in the end. <laughs> Maybe that was Buck Cherry. I don't know. Maybe that was Buck Cherry. 
speaking was, of speaking of mothers, wait, mothers on the phone. Really good transition. Speak, speak, it's to... it's too good that we got to when it, when they happen accidentally like this, we got to pounce. We got to pounce on them. Okay, fine. If you got any more Usher stuff, we can weave it into the bow stuff, but Okay, you know, okay. This, this just lands in our lap. We got to use oh, it. I'd much rather talk about bow. Is that my mother on the phone? <laughs> so oh. we're going to kind of we're going to kind of reverse our positions here cuz I got really mad at this movie and you seem to love it. I don't know. I don't know. I loved it. I loved it. You know, I went back and read because I went and saw it in the, I saw it in the theater by myself. I loved it. And I text, I texted you right afterwards and said, I just saw Bo is afraid and you're going to love it. The end is a little long, um, but it's like the lighthouse meets water boy. And I'm wondering if you think that's <laughs> a suspect. That sounds more fun than it was, maybe. I don't know. It. My problem was I wanted an, an Ari Aster movie or however you say his name. I'm a huge fan of that guy. Hereditary yeah. and Midsummer were amazing. I even liked his very cruel-minded, weird short movies. Did the you ever job. watch any of those? I haven't watched it, but right before... Um, so I rewatched Bo is Afraid last night and then this afternoon. And then I was curious what Ari Aster had to say. And so I watched an interview where he he was interviewed by movie or film forum. And then it went into another interview and that ended when Hereditary came out. And he said something similar about Hereditary, Bo is Afraid, and Meet the Johnsons. I think that's yeah, the Meet the Johnsons. Well, no, it's this it's called the Strange Thing About the Johnsons. The strange where... thing about the Okay. Explain what it is and then I'll tell you what he said about well, there's it. There's nothing much to explain. Like it's kind of a kind of a one trick pony, but it's horrifying, but also kind of funny. This son, this adult son seems to be constantly raping his dad. <laughs> and that's yeah. the, that's the joke. And <laughs> so when you watch it, you're just like waiting. For, I don't know. You're waiting for something else or you just can't believe what you're seeing. And it's not played for laughs, but that's what makes it so off kilter. It's weird. It's weird. I can see how the guy who made that made Bo is afraid, though, I guess, because that seemed like the outlier compared to Midsummer and Hereditary. But now, right. but now it all, I guess, makes sense. He said that with the strange thing about the Johnsons, he was like, I just watched all of these really beautiful movies. And I was like, what's the absolute worst thing that people could tolerate, <laughs> but would also be so beautiful looking that they're, they're like, they have to watch it, but they're appalled at the same time. And he's like, so I thought an adult son raping his dad. And then he was talking about hereditary and Bo was afraid. And the interviewers were like, the movies are kind of funny. And he was like, yeah, Bo is afraid is very funny. Well, I think that's my issue with it is that it's too funny. I, I guess I wasn't ready for it to be overtly funny. And it, some of it was funny and some of it felt really effortful. It felt more like a P.T. Anderson movie. More, oh, I it, see that. But, but it felt more Punch Drunk Love. But I think Punch Drunk Love is more subtle, if that makes any sense. Oh, sure. It absolutely is. Like It, it reminds me of... Or Charlie Kaufman's new movie, which I did not like. That uh, I'm not a Charlie Kaufman head myself. I, I think don't. I'm, know. I'm thinking of ending things. Is I oh god, I, 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 we'll save a whole ugh. five hours to talk about that one. But that one had the same kind of issue where it it sort of runs out of gas, and you just you feel you feel like you're watching a first draft, and somebody pull things out of their ass to justify it. Is kind of what I felt like with this movie. See, um, but that movie, nothing happens in it at all and this movie so much happens 
I and mean, arguably do, still nothing happens but i mean if it's if you're to take the ending as an indictment of the audience and that's what it felt like was look at all you dumbasses watching this this guy suffer now you can all go to your leave the theater that just felt sort of like a big and i, I can appreciate a big fuck you to the audience but not at the now when you're doing so well for the, the first half, I was fully on board. Yeah, um, it reminded that... me a lot of Little Murders. Have you ever seen that? I've not. It's written by the guy who did cartoons for Mad Magazine. Like they want to see Jules Pfeiffer, but it's uh, it stars um, Elliot Gould, and it's a world where there's just all this crazy violence happening, and he's real sedated and beaten down by life, and he's it's, it's like hard for him to get to his apartment and back. People are just kind of attacking him. It's very, very similar, but it also, and it reminded me of, I mean, Charlie Kaufman, like I said, but also like I Heart Huckabees. It was, it felt like a lot of, and Mother, we went and saw Mother. Yeah, I loved Mother. That's the thing, like the party from Mother, where things are escalating at the party. Yeah. I love that. I love that stuff because that's before I realized, oh, this whole fucking thing's an allegory. But when you think about like in that world, that's what happens at a party. And then Bo is afraid. This is what happens when he tries to go home. That's when I'm on board. But when it turns out it's all, it's just all allegory. Nothing's really real or whatever. Well, actually, in that interview, I was surprised because I didn't expect him to defend. I mean, not that they were making him defend it, but I didn't expect him to divulge much about his intentions with the movie. And he actually said he wrote it 10 or 11 years before it was made. And he always had it in his back pocket and thought that he was like, I just thought everything and it was so funny and when I thought of something funny I would put it in there and so it's very it's so long and indulgent I don't know I actually it didn't feel as long to me the second time I watched it because I wasn't sitting there going when the fuck is this movie gonna end yeah, makes sense. Like, um, I would appreciate it more as a revisit yeah although, although I, I had reduced expectations like the trailer didn't do it any favors. So the, the trailer has this kind of unstuck in time shit going on, yeah. making it seem more science fiction. But his flashbacks all seem to be, they're like literally drug induced. So well, it's, no. it's not really science fiction. It's you are just in his head where mm-hmm. I thought it was more of a Billy Pilgrim thing based on. So, but I had already reduced expectations with it. Like I said, at the beginning when like the drug dream flashback on the cruise with the girl screaming at him at the same time, Speaking of yeah. Rosemary's Baby and the Nun Dream, it was very accurate dream, dream fever stuff. It felt very much like a dream. Um, and that, I thought that stuff was working and all the crazy world building with the fake products and the pop culture names and posters. Ton of effort in to build that world. And so if, if it is just a big like, ha ha, fuck think, you. I don't think it is. Like you say that you think it's a big ha ha, fuck you. But I don't think that was the intention. I think more. Well, right. Because it felt like you lost control. Well, I'm sorry to keep going back to this interview, but he said it was supposed to be like Icarus and he's like on trial at the end for like everybody is just against him the entire time. So it's not I think that it gets unwieldy at the end. But how else do we interpret the Truman Show stuff at the end where he he's paddles out of the movie to this fake trial, which seems to be like the audience enjoying his suffering the end? You know what I actually, the second watch, I interpreted that as sort of like when he went into the woods and he was watching the play and he just kind of went into his own space with the story of his sons and all of that. And then suddenly he awakens and he's like, this, that never actually, when his sons 
I laughed out loud at this watching it this time. But when his sons are like, but dad, if you've never, if you've never had sex, then how <laughs> right. do you have us? And he's like, oh my, uh, I don't you know. know. And then, I, I, I so might appreciate I that, that more. I think that the end of it is sort of like that. Like he's in such a, he's so traumatized and shocked by everything. He's like, everybody in the universe is scary and lying to me and I can't trust anyone and everything's so heightened. And so when the end of, when that, when his mom dies, he's like, I'm just going to get in my little boat. I just kind of imagined it as his brain going into that space again, just like what would happen? What would his greatest fear be after that? You know, the worst has happened. Like he's on trial for the one fuck up he did in his entire life. Well, he's on trial. I mean, I took it as there. Don't they say something like I've only seen it the one time, but don't they say like, we're here to assess your guilt, get it, your guilt. You know, it's not, you know what I'm saying? It reminds me, there was an interview with John Carpenter recently where I I think I sent it to you where (laughs) uh, he's just talking shit. (laughs) (laughs) He's making his first move. Well, his second movie, but his first big movie, Halloween, they pull him aside and he's just like talking so much shit. (laughs) <laughs> he's like yeah you know spielberg nothing whatever Josh, yeah. i liked it but yeah, it was hilarious but he does say something that's kind of interesting where he says close encounters he's like yeah it felt like the director wasn't in control and i thought that was kind of a it felt like a sour grapes thing but then when i think about these other you know we're talking about mother and charlie kaufman stuff and the thing about all those movies is even though they're totally unhinged but they feel like, i always felt like being john malkovich and adaptation was him in complete control charlie kaufman in complete control of whatever he was doing even if it didn't make sense i never once got the idea that he wasn't in control even with synecdoche new york or whatever the fuck you say it totally unhinged but in control but like with the new Charlie Kaufman thing, I'm thinking of ending things or this, it feels like no control. It feels like, I don't know if it's like the these new digital techniques for filmmaking make it easy to lose control because like you just said, he kept having idea after idea and he gets to do them. He gets to do every idea he has. So one morning he has, I'm going to, hey, I've got a Truman Show kind of commentary on viewers. Uh, can we get a giant auditorium for the last scene? And bam, you just create it. You don't have to, you don't have to really create it, but you can just say it and then poof, it exists. Like, hey, we need a dick and balls monster. Poof, you have it. Even well, though by the time, think, well, let me just finish this thought. By the time it would take you to create it, if you had to physically create something, I bet those impulses are in check. I bet that you have an impulse that says, I, I'm going to revise my thoughts on the big dick and balls monster because i've had time to put it together but whereas this as soon as he thinks of it it's in it it's in it and it's oh and it's on it it's on the screen there needs to be some sort of filter especially these guys with like endless imaginations is this didn't feel like it was in control here's what i'm here's what i'm going to argue is sometimes don't you want them to get to do whatever it is they want how come i don't get to do whatever i want not if it's mike flanagan I, I don't get to do whatever I want. Why do they get to do whatever they want? Because he made Hereditary in Midsummer, And so he didn't get to do like. I he know. Was, and and the, what happened when, when the Donnie wait, Darko wait. guy, the Donnie Darko guy got to do whatever he wanted. We got that piece of shit Southland Tales. That's not what I'm talking. But like 10 or 11 years ago, he already had this movie. He's like, 
this is a movie. It's wackadoo. I want to make it. I'm going to be so indulgent. And he was indulgent. He doesn't, you don't have to have a banger every single time. But I actually think something is a banger. Like I, when I watched it, I was laughing. The other movies that I saw in a theater in the past few years that made me laugh this much were Beach Bum and The Lighthouse, where I was just like, this is... The Lighthouse is... I think the lighthouse is hysterical. I just watched that recently too, but like, and that has a lot of allegory and it has some stuff that's like hallucination and some, but there's something about just like going back to the party and mother where I really wanted the party to be real. I wanted it to be real rather than to mean something. I think it's so much less important meaning something than being real. And I I think Bo is afraid became, it started to really mean something by the end. And that's when I, it didn't feel as important as when it felt real at the beginning. But I thought the whole thing was real for Bo. Like his fear is palpable. Like everything that's happening. It's so funny. Like the beginning of the movie, it reminded me of living in the mission or I didn't live in the, well, I guess I lived in the mission for a little bit in San Francisco or like the mission isn't like this so much as like the tenderloin where everybody, that is kind of the vibe there. Some of the time where people are just like yelling at you and like, it's it's buck wild and when he is like terrified to come out of his apartment and get the bottle of water yeah, and that then stuff's great that stuff was really good so funny and you're thinking like at the beginning when he's just kind of scared doing anything he's like oh i gotta get on this plane oh, i i forgot my floss like just is such a baby And then every single fear that he has is realized. And I guess like the end doesn't match. It doesn't all match up. Like the penis monster doesn't match up. Like the ending doesn't really coalesce with the, the idea is that it's all real to Bo. Like these fears that are constantly realized, like, what if he had sex in his, like, he's scared to have sex in his mom's bed. And then he's like, I'm going to do it. She's dead. I've never had sex before. It's my dream girl. And then he's like, oh my God, I didn't kill her. I actually think that would have been a perfect ending to the movie is when she, if she just fell over dead and then it was like, bombed it a bomb to bang, bang, bang. <laughs> well, I thought that was going to be like the Parker Posey stuff. The fact that she died. I don't know, maybe the this is the intention or maybe I'm misinterpreting it. I thought that was hinting that they were related, that she had the, if she had the ailment that kills you, that is that, is she a relative? Cause the, her whole her position was so strange. You know, the idea that it seems to be that she was hired early on to keep him abstinent his whole life. Right. She, she's gets to him on the boat and says, don't ever ha- wait for me. And then she just right, ne- never around. So that's the mom, right? That's the mom planting, planting her to keep him from having sex his whole life. I like that. I didn't. I didn't. That's what I assumed it was. So when they, when she finally does, when she, and she dies, I thought, oh, and that must be his sister because she has the same disease. No, I think, I think to put it politely, um, he, he blew through the bag and he hadn't had sex his whole life. He had giant balls. I think the thing was he killed her with by well, doing that, that. You're killing me with that that description. Although I will say that how much of this is just us enjoying sort of Joaquin Phoenix suffering? That's the other thing about this movie. He is game for <laughs> He just, he just brings it. But aren't we kind of tired of his, I've seen so many mumbly Joaquin Phoenix roles lately. Like I miss, am I, am I imagining that he had this confident, edgy phase like in Gladiator or that Western, the Sisters Brothers? Bring a fire. 
no, no. Walk the, line. Say walk, walk the line. He's mum. He's so mumbly in that. We actually watched the director's cut, which adds more drug abuse. So he's even mumblier and, and more pathetic. But like, maybe it was like Gladiator. We own the night and the ma- the master. That was it. Where God, I love them. Oh. that was that's the Joaquin Phoenix I miss. The guy that was in the master was kind of scary. Now he's just this sort of mumblecore, all suffering doofus. I'm just kind of, they also did something to him, whatever they did to De Niro and the Irishman where they, this is not going to make any sense out loud, but so you have De Niro and the Irishman needs to be de-aged to look like a younger version of himself, but instead they end up with a younger version of a very old De Niro. Does that make any sense? So you don't, he doesn't look like in the Irishman when they show him as a young man, he doesn't look like Robert De Niro, but he looks like a younger version of an older Robert De Niro. I knew it wouldn't make sense out loud. Do you know oh, what I'm talking about? I do. I look saw, at the de-aged young version of De Niro and the Irishman, and it doesn't look like like De Niro and Raging Bull or or in any of you know, or any of the Brian De Palma stuff. It doesn't look like the young guy, like in Mean Streets. It looks like it looks like an de-aged version of a very old Robert De Niro. And that's what happens to Joaquin Phoenix. They they have all these versions of him, the old and younger versions that just look like manipulated versions of the existing sort of, I guess, oldish Joaquin Phoenix. It doesn't seem like the vibrant or old version of him. It just seems like I can't explain it. Never mind. Next. Next. <laughs> uh but in this movie they don't they just yeah, make- the, kid, the one the one who plays him as a kid that's a computer version of his de-aged face God. yes it is that kid doesn't exist that kid exists that kid's not real what, the kid on the cruise that's right that is a tiny walking phoenix get out of town i'm googling it right now that's you're I'm telling you no are you did you look this up or is this no, a theory it's might be a theory but it's I think that's what's happening there. The face, the face definitely. I'll tell you if I find out. The face definitely. No, it doesn't look I mean, he looks remarkably like Joaquin Phoenix, but not That's because he's not real. He's real. Just like the end of this movie's not real. His name is our men. There is a good line. I don't like the I think it goes wrong when it gets to the woods because that's when I started to get impatient and I started to feel when he starts watching a play about watching a play or whatever the fuck I know and love a good meta dance, you know, but yeah, it just felt like it was kicking the can down the road. Like, you know, I actually really love kick, that. Kick, kick, kick in the can. I thought um, I disagree with you. And I, I actually don't often enjoy a story within a story in a book or in a movie like there are a few exceptions like world according to dark can do whatever it wants but that's something where i'm i'm not very into it often this one i remember in the theater and re-watching it this sounds cheesy but i got swept away with the play within a play and his sons and it all looked so beautiful that i forgot what movie i was watching and i loved that because i that doesn't happen very often where I didn't feel like what the fuck is happening. I was watching it like I just started watching a new movie and was perfectly content with it. And it was just so. It would be great as a, it does feel like it's in sections. It'd be great as a four episode deal. You know, like if they're going to put, they're doing Charlie Kaufman movies on Netflix where like I'm thinking of ending things, which is just an example of kicking the can down the road. Why not do 
Ari Aster like mental masturbation movies. You know, I think it would have been perfect as four episodes. The reason he got to do this though was because he made two of the most excellent horror movies. That's and that's fine. I, and so he and so he gets a little treat. I'm not saying <laughs> he got a little treat. I'm not for saying. And he's like, I'm going to be as indulgent Listen, as I you've, you've sold it. You've sold it as much as you can. When you said when you said that it's him imagining the worst possible outcome and then the worst possible outcome happens. OK, I, I will accept that. That is probably the, the most convincing interpretation of the movie. The problem is that at some point it just didn't feel it, it felt like it. I, I hate to use the phrase went up. He went up his own ass when or or he went he crawled back into his balls because it, it didn't feel like he was existing in that world anymore. And the part where when it gets to the woods, that's what I got to rewatch because I was really impatient in the woods, although that has some great lines or at least it has. I interpreted a couple of lines that may or may not exist where like the guy, the old guy says, how did you get here? And he's like, I was chased. I took that as I was chased like C-H-A-S-T-E. But the captioner did not do that. The captioner put C-H-A-S-E-D. And I turned to Amy and said, that would have been a really good zinger right there. So I'm just going to assume the captioner dropped the ball. Cause that's a funny line. And like the go, and then when the ghosts of his never conceived sons come out, like that shit is kind of funny. But after the energy of that first hour, that's why I think you got to have an episode two or something because the energy is just dissipated in those woods. In my opinion. I, I don't know. My hand is up. So, um, <laughs> so I think that everything up till the very last moment is the word like he kills his mom he's put on trial for killing his mom like you think it's the end of it and then there's something else horrifying that happens it's one of those things where like we don't have to read we don't have to like make he was chased into he was chased it's like (laughs) it just is what it is like all the way through he's just legitimately afraid every way through he's being chased get it i do yeah, I think that the entire movie, like every possible bad thing, is just there is, and- there is a very, very, very funny scene where he gives her the same for the boys soundtrack two years in a row. <laughs> the fact that that fact that that's considered one of the high crimes is absolutely accurate and hilarious. Yeah, I thought that was so funny. Um, I like how she rolled. She rolled with it. It was very uncharacteristic. She just kind of rolls with it. She's like, "Oh, great, thank you. I don't have this." Um, and then I thought the guy that had tattooed eyes, like as soon as as soon as that guy appeared, and then they were like, "The birthday naked baby man killer is out there stabbing everybody." I was like, "Oh, this movie's gonna be." fun and it was like the naked guy who was stabbing people and then the tattooed guy and they were legitimately scary like just a naked man running up to you to stab you yeah you should check out little little murders i think if you liked that opening stuff i think you'd really like little murders i think it's on youtube because it's one of those that never made it to dvd or blu-ray i have a list of movies that ari aster mentioned in that film forum interview that he said well they showed a bunch of it was like a little Ari Aster Film Festival. Like he doesn't mention he doesn't mention Little Murders. He doesn't, but he mentions Playtime. Have you gavel gavel bangs? No way. You you have to mention that. Okay, I'm talking directly to Ari Aster and Mike Flanagan right now. You have to. You can't not (laughs) mention what has to be your biggest influence. 
Like, I'm, I'm serious. You need to watch Little Murders immediately. Okay. I'll watch Little Murders. Talk about what playtime is and why you said gavel bang. What did I say? You went gavel bang. Oh, that was the that was the kangaroo court that was the drumhead court that was uh, convicting Ari Oster of not acknowledging his influences. Oh, he also said um, matter of life and death, a matter of life and death and defending your life. Uh, defending and, your life sucks. And the birds. Those, that was the film festival. That he <laughs> and he I said, get, that "I understand why def- defending your life makes sense." I guess for that final thing, you ever see that one? That's the no. the guy who was the movie broadcast news. What's his name? Albert Brooks. So yeah, it's his big movie. Like he directed it, and wrote it. I think. Okay. He dies and uh, has to explain why his life was so insignificant to move on. And when they look at all the choices he made, yeah, I guess he's right now that I think about it. Uh, they, they look on a screen at all the choices he made throughout life, and he always took like an easy way out or didn't take a chance. Oh. And so in the afterlife, he has to take a chance to move on. If he doesn't move, if he doesn't, he ends up getting reincarnated and has to go back. And the movie, to its credit, portrays that as like a terrible, terrible outcome. Like you do not want to do it again. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's not as funny as it could be. Meryl Streep's in it. There's just a lot of people in like, looks like they're in greenhouses wearing white robes and that kind of shit doesn't, doesn't thrill me. We should probably wrap this up, I'm afraid, because uh, we got to put these two these two maniacs to bed and check your notes for any further questions about this movie. I have one question about, that was Bill Hader playing the UPS guy. Was there <laughs> with his back to the camera That's but that so was weird. that was definitely not him on the phone what what possible weird personal zeitgeist reason does he do that why does he have bill Hader do a cameo but with his back to the camera and why know. does he do it after it's that was definitely not him on the phone who's who's I like saying know. i think i found your mom you know that guy that wasn't his voice but then that was him on the news i don't get it i don't know i don't get it either i just thought you know, I'm going to say two things. One, he picked the birds because he said that the mom is ultimately the star of the birds and is controlling everybody. And he considers the birds a manifestation of her fear of losing her son, who's basically her husband. That makes sense. <laughs> I thought that was hilarious. And then it does relate to Bo is Afraid pretty well. The other thing I'm going to say is that I cannot expand more on this or I will ruin um, relationships in our family. But I found Bo's plight a little relatable at the very beginning. Is that your mother on the phone? <laughs> The telephone is ringing. <laughs> and then I was like, oh, God, this poor man. I get it. Um, And then well, what I was going to say is I'm going to just ring a bell for it one more time and give it give it its flowers. I thought it was a romp. I thought it was delightful in its scariest, saddest parts. I was delighted by what by all of the choices made. I was like, this guy, this fucking guy. Maybe it's a generation gap. Maybe. Um, I remember telling somebody um, a couple years ago, I I was telling someone I had recently met who was like, I don't really like scary movies. I, it was a classmate. I was talking with another classmate. And we were like, oh my God, you should watch Hereditary. And I said, yeah, it's hilarious. You would love it. <laughs> and then I went home and watched it. And I was like, oh God. I have to, I like found his school email address and emailed him right away. And I was like, I really don't think you should watch that. And he's like, don't worry. I watched the trailer um, to each his own. He was like, don't, don't worry. I knew that that was a setup. <laughs> don't worry. I knew you were a closet freak. But I think Ari Aster is so funny. Like, I think Midsummer, they're just delightful. They're sick. They're sad. They're scary. And 
the humor in them is so delightful. Like I'll watch any of his movies anytime. I'm a huge fan of the previous. So maybe he got this out of his system. Um, all right. Well, I guess we should wrap it up. Thanks for bringing the voice of your Zoomer generation. You're so welcome. You can translate I'm headlines bored. for me. Do you speak Zoomer? I do speak Zoomer because I work with teens. Okay. Can you translate? Um, Here's a headline. Okay. Um, let me pull up today's paper, which is pandering to that generation. Here we go. Today in the news, the TikTok stands are caping for the K-pops, clapping back against anything that slaps. Congrats on your glow up, fam. Can you read is it that- one time slower? Uh, Actually, no, I, turn your camera I just made on. that up. I just Ari astered that. I just pulled that. I just pulled that out of my ass. I cannot repeat it. Oh, uh, I know what all those things mean. Check, please. But I feel embarrassed talking. About- is that your mother on the phone? The telephone <laughs> is ringing. Uh, squeeze those doodles for me. <laughs>